You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. All right, all right. Everybody take it easy. Hey, guys, check out this limited edition dinosaur pillow. No way, yeah. <laughs> what, what kind of dinosaur is that? That's what I want to know. It's a, it's a fucking T-Rex. <laughs> well, you know he's coming for you. Did your mom macrame that for you? 100% dude hand stitched by the queen herself. How long have you been working on that mustache? Uh, 10 days. Honestly, Home Depot ran out of sandpaper. They called me up. They said, we, why don't we borrow that bad boy to get the job done? I said, hey, I'll help you out. You know what's fucking nuts, dude? My hair on top of my head grows at like 5x the rate of the hair on back of my head. So I keep on getting a front mullet. Like I cut it all the time. And then it's a front mullet. It's like literally two months worth of work. It's just as long as the back. So I'm trapped. And now I have a porn stash. So it's just getting weird. But women <laughs> love it. I can't help them. It's great. Also, I'll admit to you guys, I drank coffee this morning. Just thinking, I was like, oh, I'll wake up, drink coffee, get excited for my friends. I usually don't need the energy. I just thought it'd be fun. I feel like shit. I am high as a kite right now. <laughs> coffee. Yeah, it's so gross. I'm like, Ugh. I'm sweating. You would think with all the stimulants you've put in your body over the years, Hunter, coffee would coffee would have this effect on you. You know, the funny thing is I was just writing about heroin, um, and I know odd subject to bring up, but I was writing about heroin, and I was like, man, it made me so sick all the time. I literally feel the same way on coffee as I did on heroin. I'm like, Bruh. I honestly feel like my body wants to reject it. But um, <laughs> what do you guys want to talk about, like uh, my favorite sneakers or something? Well, here's the thing. You become this like mythological figure in the sport. Yeah. And every time you talk, it's like this shtick, and everyone loves it and eats it up. I don't know if anyone like knows the other side of Hunter McIntyre. You, you never do it. You, in fact, your your exact quote to me was, you guys all just want to sit around and talk about races and training, and I don't want to do that. I just want to BS and talk about things. Yeah, that's life. That's great, and you're really good at it, but today I just want to talk about your training. What do you guys want to talk about? My like shoes and my favorite uh, protein bar and stuff? Nope. Okay. Not even close. <laughs> Honestly... Kirk, just because of the video that you have right now, there's those wooden bars behind you, and it looks like you have a crib behind you. You you guys have a baby coming along? Here, look. This I'll show you. We're actually way up on top of the big penthouse suite. That's uh, just to make sure I don't fall down the stairs. I actually went to that suite one time, and uh, we lived large. We lived large. You slept in the corner of my house next to uh, next to one of my only plants that I've managed to keep alive. You're curled in a little ball in the corner all by yourself, sucking your thumb. You're bored. And you had a $25,000 check under your arm. Damn right, dude. Cut the heart out your chest before you take away that cardboard. Yeah. <laughs> I met Hunter at TMX. It was in Minnesota. And uh, and uh, Hunter was living large that night because he just won a big 25K. And I took you guys bass fishing that next morning. We had like eight dudes on my boat. And you were the absolute worst bass fisherman and caster i've ever met in my entire life <laughs> i had like 50 beers still in my system and funny thing is i'm actually going fishing today and i don't think i've gone fishing since i saw you last 
What are you fishing for? Who's taking you fishing? We're going fly fishing up uh, Boulder Creek or something like that. Yo, look at this little wrist flick. Like, if you can't cast a regular fishing rod, I have a I have a feeling there's going to be a fly stuck into your temple at some point today. Dude, I'm tell- telling you, hundred percent. I used to fish. Gosh, like two, three, four hours a day from the age of maybe ten years old until I was about fourteen years old, and the girls popped up. Shit went out the window. So I'll pick it back up. Pick it back up. You know? All right. All right. Uh, I expect some videos. You guys see these uh, scars on my hand? What's going on there? I was riding a moped with uh, a lady friend on the back, and there was a three-way intersection. So check out my hands. T-bone straight into a street going this way and that way. It was obviously turning red, and I didn't think that that right had the light to, that light had the right to stop me. So I was like, we're going to punch it. And she's like, we can't make it. My scooter can't handle it. This turn. And I was like, shh. <laughs> I T-boned the curve going about 30 miles an hour with the chick on the back. And if it wasn't for my evil Knievel style, we would have both died. We both hit the, we hit the ground hard. Trust me. We hit the ground hard. She's way more scraped up than I am. I only got about a knee scrape and a wrist scrape. But as I always said, dude, you get the job as being evil Knievel, not because you land the jump. It's about how you land the crash. So I got right back up and I was on the scoot in like a minute. So you say this a lot. That's what yeah, you always time. say all the time, dude. I don't know what you guys do in your free time, but I'm taking diggers constantly. How, how is she like, are you guys okay now? Uh, honestly, I knew that she was a good girl and a compatible partner when she got up and laughed with me. Cause there's a ton of girlfriends that I've dated that like I've gotten in. Like I remember on a bike ride with one of my girlfriends and we bumped into each other. Like we hooked handlebars and she took a digger and my core is too stable. You know, obviously I train in the gym all the time and she <laughs> took a digger. She got up screaming at me and I was like, obviously I didn't intentionally knock you over. It was a mistake. If I fell over, would you feel good about me screaming at you? And she obviously didn't hear anything that came out of my mouth and kept on digging into me. And that was probably at like five miles an hour. This was 30 miles an hour in a $2,000 scooter that was hers. And I took it into the curb. She launched over top of me. And I obviously, you know, my body's a little bit more rustic than hers was. I didn't take very much damage. She, on the other hand, covered in bruises and scrapes. But she's great. We've hung out since and had many fun times. Is she the one? Is she the one? Do you now know that she's the one after this experience? I will say that after... I don't know. I've hit a level in my life where I'm dating people and I've realized that I'm going to be my absolute self. And I think rather than thinking about them and how happy they are, not in a way that's being selfish. Don't be like, Oh my gosh. Like, you know, is she happy all the time? Like worrying about that shit and worrying if she's a good fit. I'm just going to have fun until the day that it's not fun anymore. So she's the one for now. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) By accident, be shopping one day and be like, that ring looks really nice. Maybe I should buy that. And I was like, wait a second, I bought her a wedding ring by accident. And then we go into marriage, and then all of a sudden she's pregnant. She's going to love this romantic story of how you guys <laughs> planned out your. I've known her for like a day. I don't okay. mean it like that, but I'm just saying I've, I've known her for a day. But that day was intense, as I told you. We hit a curb. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> sounds promising. I'll be honest. It sounds very promising. Honestly, I think romance needs to be burned through these kind of things. Like it's got to happen through some kind of ridiculousness. I went on a date with this guy and he crashed my moped and then we were married a year later. You know, that's the kind of thing. How long ago was that? And why aren't you two married anymore? 
<laughs> should we should we talk about something? Should we talk about some real some real stuff here, guys? Well, you, know, you guys want to break the ice a little bit? I haven't seen either of you in a while. I know. This is how we socialize these days. It's kind of nice. There are like three people in OCR that I call when I want real training advice yeah. or conversations. And two of them are on this call with me right now. Nice. Wow. And Hunter, I, I think that you like, and we, we've talked about this, you play up the like the heel role, the meathead role, but on the other side, like you've read and researched and and practice and put things into like into practice from theory as much as I think anyone in the history of our sport has done. Damn right. What I kind of want to do is, is date back to whenever that started. Like I know you wrestled and ran a year or two of cross in high school, and then you went and did your, your collegiate thing for a little bit. Like from the beginning, did you have that drive to learn every in and out of your training? I actually hated training. I hated training all the time in high school. Uh, I was like really gotten serious into wrestling and running in high school in the way that I was on the varsity team. Uh, but I didn't train to be on the varsity team and I didn't care about any of the work that came with it. Like, you know, when we went to go out and do runs on the cross country team, everyone would have to go out and do this big loop in the reservoir. And I would just quickly like cut behind a tree and smoke joints. And then I would rub my hands in the dirt and come back like, you know, 45 minutes later and say, oh, yeah, I ran the 10K. And everyone's like, no, you fucking didn't. I was like, shut your mouth. Um, so <laughs> that was like, I didn't do any training. I only like to race. If that's how you approached it, why did you join in the first place? Oh, I had a rule. My my dad said either get a job or you, you do a sport. And I was like, that's a pretty easy transfer. But it was smart on their part because they were like, hey, listen, if you're a talented kid, we can get you a scholarship, which I was on my way to getting scholarships, but I screwed that up. Were you a talent from day one? Did people know you were a talented athlete? Yeah, I ran my first, it was like a really, really hilly 5K and I ran it in like 1845. And I know that's nothing like spectacular, but that was the first 5K I've ever run. And I remember running against like, I think I took like sixth place and the number one kid in our region was like a minute behind us. And everyone was like, whoa. How old were you then? 16. So you were like a sophomore or something in high school? No, I was, a, I was a junior. The first day I ever ran cross country was a junior. Wrestling started earlier. Okay. And I did that for a whole year. The first time I think I ever started training is my dad would wake me up. He's just like, I, I had gotten in trouble and was sent to Michigan. Um, I was sent to Michigan in the summer of 2006 uh, to go live with my grandparents because I got in trouble. And I, my, I had to run while I was out there. They like bought me sneakers, but I didn't really run. And then all of a sudden my dad came, I came back and my dad expected me to be fast. And so what he did was, is he would wake me up every day at 5am and he would chase me in his car on like a three to four mile loop behind our house. And he would put the, the, the cruise control on to from like 10 to 13 miles an hour in this car we called the red dragon. It was like a sports SUV and he would chase me. <laughs> and he'd ride alongside of me and he's like, you're getting past, you're getting past. This is where you're weak. You need to kick in. You've been past. You are losing the race now. This is what it feels like to lose. I'm like, shit. And it was five days a week. And then I had to go to practice. And trust me, when I got to practice, I was not practicing. So that was probably the first times I ever started to do workouts. It was a tempo run every single morning for my entire cross country uh of senior year season and then everything went out the window i didn't touch a workout 
until I was 19. And at that time I was 17. So I didn't, I didn't do anything for two years. I got really into drinking and drugs. With your dad driving his car, was he some sort of, was this, was he like a, did he know anything about what he was doing? Or was this like a punishment? Was this like, Hunter, you did drugs and did bad shit. We sent you to Michigan. That didn't work. And now dad is going to take care of business back home. Like, what was the deal there? It was a cocktail of a few things. I think partly it was the fact that he didn't know what he was doing, but thought it was the right thing to do. Like, my dad is always obsessed with Tiger Woods and obsessed with the way his father was the one who, like, made him into the golfer he was. So my dad, to this day, still gives me advice that has zero to do with what I'm doing. Like, it doesn't make any sense. He's like, well, Tiger would do this right here. As you see, the, the slope of the land looks like this. Tiger would putt on this. It's like, Dad, I'm running. It doesn't make sense. He's like, well, listen. So he would try to give me advice like that. So it was like his version of trying to uh, intercede in my life. And basically, I thought that he was like, only way I can really connect with my son is over this. And uh, he thought it was the best thing for me. And it made me fast. Like, I started to pick up time quickly. Like, I was now the number one kid in the region. I was starting to become one of the top kids in the state. And it was working. I just didn't care that it was working. And, uh, I mean, it, it got a lot of eyes on me uh, for schools and stuff. So it worked, I guess. I don't know. I don't. I think when you're young, dude, you could do almost anything. Like, you know how when you put a barbell on like a 15-year-old's back and then all of a sudden they go from like 135 pounds to like 405 in one football season and they like just become a man? You're like, what the hell? Like I get out squatted by like high school kids all the time now and they don't know what the heck they're doing. They're just their beans are filled with testosterone and they could do almost anything. And the same thing, same thing with running. Like you could do whatever. And as long as you don't like, you know, break a bone, you could pretty much get some results out of it. I agree with that. Talent doesn't hide. And when you're young, it's like, it's screaming to get out. So you just gave up everything for three years. Completely. I really hated training, like especially lifting weights, which is so weird for who I am now. I remember in wrestling practice, I was like, you guys are pussies. I was like, I have this body that is all natural and I will crush you with it. I was like, I don't need to be in here lifting these sissy weights. You guys look like idiots. And so then, you know, I gave up and all of a sudden I was, I was uh, in Montana and I had to become a logger because I realized I was like, nothing I can do in this point in my life right now is going to keep me sober other than a job that will break my back. So I told my PO, it was like my last chance before they sent me to jail. I was like, please. Get me a job that is so tiring. Like I will dig ditches to China, whatever you want me to do. Just please give me something. So they gave me a job as a logger. And I literally went from like 160 pounds to 215 pounds. Um, I started that job in February. And by the time I left in August, I was like 215 pounds of solid man. Did you enjoy it or was it misery? I loved it. I loved it. There's not a day on that job that I did not have a blast with. I mean, I was chain smoking cigarettes, doing snuff uh packing lips i was doing the truck like i was doing the trinity dude so like that was what kept me going during the job and like you're using huge chainsaws and like they're ripping you around on the cranes and all these crazy tractors and stuff so it was a blast and i was 19 years old at the time and everybody else the next youngest guy was 29 the next guy was like in the 40s so everyone was pretty serious like i didn't have like friends on the job but i certainly had some people that taught me some wise lessons and I think that's what gave me the idea of actually understanding hard work. And uh, it, it was a game changer. Like I understood that I could literally outwork people through that job. 
And then fast forward, I got my parents put me into college in Rhode Island uh, to wrestle there. And I was on academic probation and I couldn't do anything. So I would, I would run with the wrestling team, but I couldn't do anything else. And then they tried to put me in the right room and I said, screw this stuff. It's for sissies. So it wasn't until uh, spring. So it was, it was basically almost two years later, not three years, that I did my first ever workout because I just I had done a practice with this guy, Mike Martini. He was a New England champion and was a sixth in nationals the year before and trained with the guy who won nationals that year. And I was like, I almost beat him in almost every single match. Like, you know, we were really tussling with each other. And I was like, fuck these guys. I was like, they're not better than me. I can crush them. I was like, that's it. I was like, this is the last day. And I was, I had just gotten out of rehab and everybody knew I was on academic probation. Everybody was pointing and making fun of me. Like, you're a deadbeat. Like, you know, you're never going to make it on the team. You're a piece of shit. And I hated these kids for it. I was like, the whole wrestling team was such dicks to me. And I was like, never again. I was like, I'm not going to let my past define my future. So I was just like, that's it. Like this day forward, I was like, I'm going to out train everybody. I'm going to break their bones next time I'm on the mat. So I took a, a couch pillow, set it down on the ground. I set 135 pounds on the bench and I got two dumbbells for curls. So I went as many bench press at 135 as I could. Many bicep curls I could, and then I did lateral hops with the dumbbells in my pretty bitching workout. Was that, was that your first wad ever? First ever workout. I like, you know, I like flip through a magazine. You always see those little things with like the little caricatures, like, you know, huh, huh, bench press, like bicep curls, develop upper body muscles, like <laughs> lateral hops, explosiveness and conditioning. I was like, okay, I can make that work. So I did, the, I did it. Did you stick with that? Did you become a wrestling monster that year or did it fade? Nope. Like a couple weeks after that, I don't think you can see the scar on the camera, but I uh, was home on spring break and I don't know what I was home for, but I was home and I was throwing rocks at mailboxes and uh, there was this lamppost that I wanted to smash with a rock and I was so drunk that I threw the rock at the at the lamppost and I missed it and it was like maybe an arm's reach away and I was like, you motherfucker, <clears throat> and I punched it and I severed the tendons in my finger and uh, I was in a glove for like eight weeks. So season done. Did you go back to college? I did go back to college, but I dropped out that summer. No big deal. I don't want to spend too much time on this. I just want to know what you were getting into trouble with all these years. Like, why were you constantly like going to juvie jail and having to like get thrown around? Like, what kind of trouble were you getting into? We do want to dive into like the nitty gritty of like your, you know, your fitness progression. But like, what the, what the hell were you doing, man, for all those years? I was just having a blast. I was having so much fun. Stuff that you would do, like, you know, I'll put it to you this way. My senior year, I was just being a guy. My senior year, I did a senior prank that gave me two felonies and multiple misdemeanors <laughs> for something <laughs> stupid. It was just like we stole something from a family that we knew we were going to do some a prank with it for our senior prank. It wasn't anything big. It was like worth like $5. It was a joke. My dad kidnapped the principal of the opposing school when he walked out to his car they threw a burlap sack over his head threw him in a van and then hit him in the building behind the school they kidnapped him when he was in high school yeah and they, everyone's like where's the principal for the opposing high school not even their high school because they had a big rivalry and then eventually they let him go but that's kidnapping and the principal knew it was them afterwards and like you know t today nowadays they'd fucking call the cops all these kids would be in jail for kidnapping I just think the 
the legal system's just gone over the top. I mean, certainly, like, if I had held you at gunpoint, put me in jail. But I was doing things like pulling fire alarms and smashing mailboxes and doing stuff that was hysterical. Like, I could tell you these stories and you guys would be bent over laughing for hours. And I, to this day, don't regret any of it. Like, come after me. I'll pop you in the eye. Like, I don't give a shit. It was hysterical. I was just living life. I've experienced the world. Some people have lived in these little test tubes because they followed the system their entire lives and never kind of walked outside the lines. They don't know what life's all about. So, I mean, it gives me a lot of shit to pull on now that I'm older because I've got no regrets from it. Um, but I mean, listen, I had to spend a year in rehab, two years in probation, a lot of community service, missed out on the Navy SEALs. There was a couple things that I missed out on because of this, lost out on scholarships. Uh, but in reality, I'm kicking ass on the back end, baby. <laughs> so you dropped out that summer. Yeah. And what, was there another gap where you relapsed for a bit or were you right into training mode after that since you got a taste for it? I was training hard as a mother flipper. I, during a college party, was really ripped because I had started all this training but didn't have anything to train for. And I popped out of a uh, my bedroom in my underwear and was like, Woo! during the party and I was ready to chase chicks around. <laughs> uh, this kid was like, yo, you should be a model, dude. And I was like, fuck yeah, I should be a model. And he's like, no, I'm a model and I can get you signed up with an agency ASAP. And I was like, okay. So I signed on with an agency and I was, I moved to Florida about like six months later. I moved to Florida about like, I just started working out all the time, like crazy. And I knew that, that this was like my main goal now. So I then moved to Florida and I started modeling. And, you know, I didn't know how to be a model. I knew how to get ripped. So I was like, I assume that if you want to take pictures of me, you want to take pictures of me because I'm ripped. So I was just, I would just start running. I was hitting two 5Ks a day. I started to really dial in my nutrition. I was like, how do I get ripped? I knew how to work hard, but I was like, so now I started to learn how to use my, my calorie deficit from wrestling, changing up my diet, starting to do things like fasting, starting to do things like, um, uh, like uh, cleanses, like the master cleanse and stuff like that. So I started dialing all this stuff in and I was like, it was trial and error for sure. Like working out three to five hours a day on, I remember I used to do like two hour pool workouts and I almost passed out in the pool one time because I was on the master cleanse. I hadn't eaten in days and I was doing pool workouts and I just started fading. And I, like, I came to holding onto this coconut that I was doing workouts in the pool with in Florida. And I was like, whoa, I got to get the fuck out of here and eat some food. Um, but that could have been the end of me. Uh, so I was really just working on getting as lean as possible. And like, I could send you, show you guys pictures. I, I, just, I was ripped, like crazy ripped. Now I'm muscular, but back then it was like veins head to toe. So I was not training in the way that was meant for sport, but I was training in the way of being able to understand how diet influenced physique and how hours training influence physique and how you could maybe push too far or maybe how you did too little and uh learned about overtraining a lot that's how i started learning about overtraining because i wouldn't sleep for days because like you know when you start to overtrain you can't sleep and your body's just like always like you know you're never idling you're always in like second or third gear you're just too revved up so that was the next chapter was modeling and um from there, like I realized after a couple of years of that, I was like, modeling sucks. I was like, all I want to do is work out. All I'm doing is working out to take pictures. But like, I'm, you can't put me in a box. I'm not that kind of person. Like, you can't 
make me sit in front of a lens and sit there and like be like this. Like I just hated it. It was one of those you had to go there to be here type of things where that was your impetus to learning to train and getting a taste for it. Probably because I had so much time. I remember like the first book that I ever bought on training was The 4-Hour Body by Tim Ferriss. Mm. That's – I still have it somewhere in here. I don't know if it's in this bedroom. It might be back in Malibu. Um, but that book right there was probably the first thing that started to teach me that like hard work – like you can't just smack a sledgehammer against a rock all the time and expect it to shape what you want. Like there's times of rest, there's time of thinking, analyzing, time of taking out the chisel rather than the sledgehammer. So I had been in this wrestling and running uh, mentality where everything was sledgehammer. Five, like, you know, tempo runs with my dad at five in the morning. Hard races. Fucking beat the shit out of you in a wrestling match. Like only thing I knew how to do was go hard. And now I started to read from these people and started to understand that um, like, it, it didn't have to go hard all the time. Like actually, and then the, the second person that I started to learn from was high intensity training. Um, Arthur Jones was the inventor of it. He was a self-made billionaire who made Nautilus machinery for the gyms. I don't know if you guys ever saw those equipments. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. His two biggest successes were Casey Viator and Mike Menser. And Mike was meant to be the winner of the 1980s uh, Mr. Olympia, but because of politics and bodybuilding, they gave it to Arnold because of the whole Pumping Iron movie. But they didn't even show him very much at all in the film. He was a fucking titan. And I was like, dude, this guy's... I mean, I have him saved on my phone right now. I'll show you a picture of him standing next to... I just took the picture the other day and took a screenshot. And I was like, dude, this guy is so much more badass than Arnold. He's... He's this guy with the mustache right there, and you can see him standing next to Arnold. Like Arnold had <laughs> didn't have definition like this at all. He was six six feet tall and had big muscles, but this dude, you could literally stick your whole hand in between his peck and it would disappear. Like he had just density and fucking craziness. And I was like, why does this guy look so different from everybody else? Why do all these other bodybuilders look like puffy arms, puffy quads, tight stomachs, but they don't look dense? They look almost like someone had put little balloons in certain places. This guy looked like he was chiseled, like it was really made from rock. So I started to learn about high intensity training, which is they basically would max out so hard two times a week straight through where it would be like barbell squat, quad extension, um, RDL straight into like midline max effort. And you're doing like 20 rep max at 500 pounds on back squat. You're doing 20 rep max at like 300 pounds on quad extension. You are literally tearing muscle from the bone and shocking the system. That sounds terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. I used to put my body through it and I was testing myself. Um, So then all of a sudden I started to learn about that. Casey Viator supposedly gained 60 pounds of muscle in a two month or two 20 day. I'm I'm, I'm bastardizing information here. Uh, period of time while he was in a lab being tested and on a specific diet, definitely on steroids, but also using these training methods with um, Arthur Jones. So I started to learn that kind of stuff. And now I was like, well, how can I take my training from working hard all the time to now being the best with the least amount of work? And that's how I started to think about low mileage. I was a really low mileage guy when I got into OCR. 
where most guys weren't. Hold on. So basically, back in college, you just wanted to start lifting weights to, to kick the ass of these jerks who you were your teammates. You wanted to get ready to crush them. Then you just worried about getting a physique so you could look sexy for your photo shoot. Still about like aesthetics and gaining muscle. And now yep. you're still focused on like getting huge and jacked. Yes. Right. So running isn't even like a like endurance sports aren't even like a thought yet for you at this point. No. And you're how old? Twenty two. I'm guessing I was 22 at that time because I was I moved back to Rhode Island, moved into my friend's apartment. I had that that tome, as I said, yeah. the four-hour body. And shortly thereafter, I was I got a phone call, and my buddy Mo said, "Hey, listen, man, I've got a great idea. I want you to come out to California. I want to tell you about it." He bought me a first-class ticket, flew me. I know, crazy shit, but like, flew me to California, and he's like, "Hey, listen, I did. I made a lot of money." I'm going to start this business. I want you to be the guy who trained me. So then all of a sudden I was in California and that's when I bumped into my first Spartan race. And at that point in time, I then had, had read so many books, like what they now call the keto diet, dude. I was experimenting with a keto diet. Like I was reading about Tudor Bompa periodization. Um, I was starting to read about, uh, what the hell is his name? Charles Poliquin's really good results and starting to understand how supplementation was a huge part of getting uh, getting where you wanted to be because everybody wanted to take steroids. I didn't want to take steroids. I hated people who were like, you know, I just thought you could max out your body before you wanted to take steroids. I'll probably take steroids in my life like when I hit like 40 or 50 and I want to still shred people to the bone. But right now, dude, I can do crazy shit with gallons filled with amino acids, like, you know, 40 grams of amino acids and 10 grams of creatine every single day. And so I started to learn about that stuff. And now I was in the mountains. 10 of grams of creatine, huh? Dude, when you're loading, you do 20. HCI, which is like a, basically a much more potent molecule of it, uh, you can do like one-fifth to, uh, to one-third of the volume that you need in regular creatine instead of monohydrate. But uh, I always overdose because why the hell? Am I? All right. <laughs> Sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. Keep going. I've seen his cupboard. It looks like, like a high-end like Walgreens vitamin section, like you have an entire corner of your kitchen just devoted to your supplementation and, and all that jazz. Well, I have my, my staples and then I have my experiments. I'm currently experimenting right now. I can tell you guys that later. So now I'm in the mountains of Malibu and I have jack shit to do. So I start reading even more. And I had my first ever training partner, Matt Gambardella and I used to call him Jim Bitch Kathy because he lifted like a girl named Kathy. And uh, <laughs> he got strong as an ox, though. Like, you know, our methods worked. And I literally was watching myself over months. Like, my body was transforming fast. Like, I went from like a shredded model. Like, I went from 215 down to 167, I think was the leanest I was ever as a model, back up to the 200s again. And I was like reaching back up and I'm like, I'm talking about shredded to the bone 200s. And I'm like, okay, this is pretty dope. So all of a sudden I'm starting to learn what I can do. And I, I went from that, I was testing high intensity training on Matt and I was doing barbell splits myself where I was doing, you know, it was back and tries, chest and buys. It was always counteracting muscle groups, antagonists, and then uh, legs and shoulders and leg, shoulder and core. And the weight was just going boom, 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 boom. I was deadlifting in the 400s. I was squatting in the 300s. Like stuff that I had never done before because I was 
at the time just working on being shredded or wrestling practice or like doing, I was trying to figure it all out. So now it was about the numbers and about the body fat percentage. And I would weigh in every single day and I'd write down my information. This is where I started to get my notepads and get really like, if you go to my mom's house, there's stacks of these notepads. And, um, I was training, I didn't have a car, so I was training in the mountains a lot. Not intentionally. It wasn't like I would just take the dog that I had and I'd run him for a 5K up the mountains. But in that 5K, you get 700 to 1,000 feet of climbing. It was just like straight up, straight back down. Um, or I'd hike to the top of the mountain at night with a couple like bottles of wine and sausages in my backpack, and we'd all just drink at the top of the mountain and pass out like and have a bonfire, which is highly illegal. I didn't realize that at the time. So all of a sudden someone hit me up for my first Spartan race. Uh, my friends were just dicking around. They found it and they, they told me to go and I was pissed drunk when I showed up and we were drinking in the parking lot, poking cows and stuff at Calamigos ranch. And I just went and I didn't realize I still had all of this speed from being a cross country runner. And I had all of this strength that I had been doing as a bodybuilder. And I was like, Whoa. And I think I came sixth place out of, like around 10,000 people. And I was like, okay, now it's on. And then I remember I ran my first half marathon, no training, ran a 119, I think. I would, I put my headphones in. I had this little shitty green iPod, the iPod nanos, mm-hmm. little slender ones. Mm-hmm. And I was running and I was like, I was running next to this guy who was running the 10 miler, not the half, half marathon. So I'm booking it. And this guy's just pushing harder and harder and harder. And I was like, I can beat him. I'll fucking beat him. I know I'm going to break him over the next three miles too. And so I just kept on pushing and I beat him coming through the 10 mile and he just stops. And I look around. I was like, what the hell is your problem? Like it's, we're still going. They're like, no, he's running the 10 miles still go. So then I had to have the guts to pull it together and run the extra 5k by myself. And that was the long beach half marathon 2011. Hunter, who was, what, what was that first Spartan race? Who was there? Anybody that we know? No, I have no clue. I know Hobie was there because Hobie won. And then I started doing my research. I was like, who's this piece of crap? So found out, realized he was doing weight best training, bought myself. I'll never forget. I made like a bet with my dad. I was like, if I win this thing, will you buy me a weight vest? Bought me a weight vest, won that thing. I always, even in high school, my dad might get upset about this. My dad always knew to put prizes in front of me because that was the way to keep me focused. He'd be like, if you win this, I'll give you $500. If you win the regionals, I'll give you $1,000. And I was booking it. I was running for prize purses in high school. And he knew that if I could get me to run fast enough and beat everybody, it was a scholarship. Giving up $5,000 to your son, $2,000 to $5,000 to your son over uh, a whole year cross country and um, track compared to spending like you know $50,000 a semester at a school, that's a fair deal. So... Yeah, man, I was a prize chaser from from early beginning. And so I started to do my research on Hobie. And at the same time, CrossFit popped into my head. And because it was all over the internet. It was like, you know, Rich Froning had just won his first ever CrossFit games. And I was like, huh, who's this guy? I'll admit, I think CrossFit probably fucked me up. I could have done better if I had been learned more about endurance I had respected endurance more rather than CrossFit because CrossFit was way sexier than endurance. And at the same time I was reading CrossFit, I was starting to read a ton about triathlon. So that's how I got super into cycling and I got super into, I hated swimming, but I would do it every once in a while. 
but I would do cycling. Cycling became my primary trainer um, for endurance, and I was doing probably about 10 to 15 miles a week on running, probably about 100 to 150 miles a week on bike, spin classes too, and I was doing like a CrossFit workout every single day. It was a lot of training. It was a lot of training. It was like this era. It was the peak era of overtraining, at least I think. Everybody, CrossFit had just come out. Everybody thought working out all day long was the thing to do. And now when I go to CrossFit gyms and I just see idiots in there, just literally in there for like four hours. Like I'll go in the morning and they're working out and then I come back and they're still working out. Like I'll go get lunch and eat something, come, they're still in there working out. And they're not doing anything. They're just being idiots. They're still swinging kettlebells like, oh, you want to go do core now? Oh, now you want to go do rowing intervals? Oh, now you want to do rope climbs? That was me. What were you thinking? Like, what were you even like focused on when you were doing all that training? Like, what was in your head? What was the purpose of all that to you? Like, why were you even doing it? Well, also at the same time, I really wanted to be a Navy SEAL. And the idea of like being this unstoppable creature and just breaking your body and constantly training, like all of these thoughts came into head. Like I came in. I hated training. Then I started to get very smart about training and started to learn how to transform my body. It started working really, really well. Then all of a sudden competition came in and I wanted to become the best competitor. So like the pendulum just keeps on swinging in which way it's going of like smart hunter, stupid hunter, smart hunter. And I was in this stupid hunter era where I was like more, 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 more. And I wasn't thinking at all. It wasn't until after the 2013 Spartan Race World Championships where I had basically become super fed up with the methods that I was using. Because I was like, I was working with Brian McKenzie, the founder of CrossFit Endurance. Reebok had just started sponsoring me. I said, listen, I'll take this contract, but you also have to pay for my coaching. So I took less salary, had them pay for my coaching, and they made the connection, brought them in, and the guy was having me do just not very intelligent workouts. I, I'd met you the year before at this race in your transition period from bulking up to becoming the triathlon style training with the CrossFit you're doing. And you were an yeah. animal. It was a, a race out in California, Sacramento, I think. That was a great race. A beast. And you went head to head with Hobie for like nine or 10 straight miles. And I watched <laughs> the whole thing from like a quarter mile down, half mile down, just like you could see forever in that landscape. And this giant man just wouldn't stop surging against Hobie. I'm like, what is happening here? I just taken third at world championships like a month prior, and I'm just getting dropped by this large individual who won't stay away from Hobie. Then we, I didn't start talking with you until that time where you were with Brian McKenzie, and I could not believe the things you were doing leading up to the 2014 world championship. You were training for, for the Killington Worlds, doing like 50% things that had no bearing whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> and he was a world-class coach, but in a different discipline. Dude, I could probably go back into my training information and type in Brian McKenzie and bring it up right now. Well, I'm just a few of the things that you were doing. That's just kind of interesting to me. It was stupid. Like just, just, I remember he used to have me do carries a lot. Like my workouts would be 400 meter runs until you had cracked or popped. And I would usually get three or four done because like if there's a four second variance at all, you have to stop. That's like, and he was super diligent about it. He's like, and I would never get the volume that I really needed. And I was so new to endurance sports. I didn't really know how to run 400s. Like if I was going to coach somebody, I'd be like, I want you to go do eight 400s and I want you to run 
Like if you're if your one your fastest mile is five five minutes or six minutes is just a better way of putting it. So it's like I would have you run like a hundred second quarters. Try to hold on a hundred second quarters, and if you drop below a hundred and ten, I think you should go home. Like I would just like give you a big swing of opportunity here, and I would just want you to do eight of those and just build up that. That's two miles of that intensity, and then maybe next week I'd give you you know seven or eight of them or seven or nine or 10 of them. But just like in the beginning, people need to learn how to run that stuff. And then all of a sudden that would be like my one run workout a week. That was it. And the rest of it was probably like, you know, two 30 minute runs. So I'm collectively getting less than an hour and a half of running for what was a four hour race at the time. And I think he was so focused on CrossFit. He never even gave me the time of day to look into what my race was really going to be. And he was having me do back squats this day, max deadlift this day, um, snatches this day. Like, who the fuck needs a snatch for a, a beast? Like, he was having me do, you know, chest to bar pull-ups and stuff. Like, just shit that was, like, technicality that didn't need to be in my training. And it was always stuff like that. Just overbearing technicality intensity and never enough low intensity and never enough long into, um, long work. And... Uh, he was, I, I, listen, I don't blow, he was a fucking asshole. Fuck him. <laughs> it went to show what happens when a professional coaches someone in a different realm. You know, yeah. it'd be like if I went to coach Rich Froning this year. Yeah. You know, I'm not comparing myself to Brian McKenzie. I'm not at his level, but I couldn't coach him for CrossFit and he couldn't coach you for Killington. Yeah. It's all right. I don't think he's a bad guy. I was pissed though. Why were you able to stay with Hobie then? For example, in that race, like what the hell do you have? Like how, how were you able to still do that? You know how those people always come out and well, first of all, you know how rookies always come out like, and there's like always a rookie who takes like second or third at like a big race each year. Like the yeah. first rent K race Kent ever did. He beat Yatskow. Like you don't know what you're doing and you're just doing it. Yeah. And then after that, most people taper off one. I didn't really know what I was doing. So I was just like, I'm going to hammer. I don't give a shit. I'm going to beat this guy. And then. After that, I was so pissed that he had beat me, I wasn't going to let him go. And I knew I could beat him. I could taste it. So, and even that race, when I really started to lose against him as we were running across fields and my fucking shoe came off and I got stuck in a mud pit and I couldn't untie my shoelaces covered in mud and I couldn't get my shoe back in. And he gained like a minute on me right there. And he only beat me by like two or three minutes. So it was pissed me the fuck off. I was like, I can get him. So I don't know. Like it just is. I, I hate losing. I really, really hate losing. And uh, I'm willing to work hard enough to make sure that doesn't happen. I don't know if you remember, prior to Tahoe one year, you messaged me and you're like, hey, if you were going to like, what would you do in my position in order to beat Hobie Call yeah. at Tahoe? You're like, that's my only goal. Because I know if I beat Hobie, like I'm going to be a world champion. And if I don't, like if I don't win, whatever, like I need to beat Hobie in his last year. I don't think he's ever going to race again. I have to beat him in his last race. Yeah. And I said, well, first of all, Write me a list of your like pros and cons, things you're better than Hobie at and things he's better at you, than you at. And then I'd probably just attack all the things he's better at you. And you made a list. Do you remember you made a list of the things that are your greatest strengths as an athlete? And you listed like four things, but your number one thing you wrote, and this has stuck with me forever, is you wrote, I'm not a pussy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think at face value, I like, I just like laughed it off. Yeah. That's just Hunter being funny. And then I realized, no, like you, you, that you saw that as your greatest strength is that no matter what else is going on, you are not going to be the person that's going to back away. 
you will just hit your head against the wall until the wall stops or until your body stops. But, and I saw that in California that day, and I've seen it since that you were able to outrace your training a lot of times, or you were able to race up to your training. And most people yeah. can't do that. Yeah. Um, self-talk is probably one of the other things. I'll tell you guys something. I read books, autobiographies, biographies, war history all the time. Because when you take what you do and put it into perspective against some of the greats, what you're doing is almost never that great. Mm. And I have to tell myself that all the time. I'm like, you're running a mud run. I was like, Alexander the Great conquered most of Europe before he was 18. Like, you know, like <laughs> Napoleon, Napoleon statistically is like, I think one was like six times more battles than any other general in history based on like, on like what he had versus what he was up against versus the amount of battles that he was in there. An astounding amount. And these people are doing these things that are so much more grandiose than what you're doing. So anytime, it's like the reason why I got the Macho Man tattoo. It's the reason why I got the sheriff badge. Like none of my tattoos are sexy. All of them have to do with a mental um, mindset. You have to remind yourself of that shit. So um, I think that's the only thing that's really kept me as successful as I am. Uh, because a, a talent always is going to meet another talent. And it's the person who takes the opportunity of the day. Like so many people try to slant Robert Killian for having such a shitty season last year. And then all of a sudden, like by accident, tripping into winning world championships. Everyone's like, oh, you never would have fucking won that thing. It wasn't cold. Blah, 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 blah. It's like, you guys mm -hmm. are fucking bunch of pussies. I was like, <laughs> this man right here didn't trip into it. Like that guy trained for it. And then when the day came where it was cold and it was nasty, he showed up for it. He didn't just train for it. He showed up for it. And then he raced it. And I live next to Johnny. Johnny's a far better runner than jo Robert. But Johnny doesn't have the beans to run like Robert when the going gets tough. And I sit down and I talk to him all the time. I try not to poke him proud and be too mean because he certainly can be a bully when it comes to people being soft. Um, but you can hear it in people's voices. You can see it in the way that they walk. You can see it in the way that they talk. Mm. And you just look into Killian's eyes. That dude doesn't give a shit. Like if he's got it, he's going to go for it. And some we had this conversation. Our our podcast we released yesterday. We had this exact conversation about Robert Killian, and it's funny your timing on that periodizing his training and all that mattered is the big the big race. Are you sort of hinting at like that's that's how you approach approach all of this? Are you saying this is are you I don't know guiding us down like is that the path you take as well? Well, I've always I screw this up. So I'm not necessarily, I don't always practice what I preach, but I only think you should be good at one or two things in life, preferably one. And admittedly last year, I let myself get into CrossFit and then I would like get in and now get in and out. And I was like, if you focus on just one thing, you can be better than anybody. If you have the talent and you have the mindset. And like, I tell you right now that with my focus, I'm not going to let anybody until the day that I die, beat me in high rocks or deck of fit. And, um, I'm just going to focus on that stuff right now. And I've definitely made the mistake of doing otherwise. And I think this coronavirus has made me sit in this room and buy a board to write my goals down on. And I hang a Jersey up from when I lost at the CrossFit game. And I keep that as close to me as possible. And then on this side of the room where I do my work, I keep a check above me where I set the world record. So when I go to bed at night, I see that I set a world record 
when I work during the day for my seat, I see that I lost the CrossFit Games. So I have to sit here and work and think about how I lost all the time. And when I go to bed at night, I reassure myself that I'm still a champion. So I designed it like that so that I have the mindset that I will always win. I've always been a champion and I can choose to be a champion or I can choose to be a loser. So when I sit down and I work, I decide not to be a loser. And when I go to bed at night, I decide to go to bed with the mindset of a winner. I like that. Yeah. Kirk and I have talked about this a couple of times, actually. We, you come up from time to time in our, our chats because uh, you're, you're a very, you embody a lot of things. One of those is that starting in like 2014, I think you changed as an athlete from this freak who dabbled to the majority of the time from then on, if you showed up someplace, you were singularly prepared to destroy people at that competition. Uh, if, if someone, if you showed up to, um, a Malibu Spartan race or to, um, where was the, the U S series race in California that year? Monterey, Monterey. If you showed up to Monterey or if you showed up to a stadium race, or if you showed up to TMX, like you were maybe the best in the sport, um, at showing up prepared for what was about to be tested rather than preparing for all the things that might get tested later on. You always came ready for something that was about to be tested. You were never the best runner on paper, the best climber, the best descender, but you hit the best peaks of those things for the right races. What what was the difference you were doing that you were always able to look at things differently and just say, like, forget all that volume or forget whatever you guys are doing. I'm going to do exactly this because the race tests this. I'll remember the first time I did it. Like, I'll just give you, uh, I'll, I'll bring it up to a current, as close to current date as possible. I realized that in the 2016 Monterey race, that basically that terrain was more about your ability to get to the top of the hill and then get to the bottom of the hill fastest. You talking to me? Now I got to work, bud. See ya. Um, basically, I realized that it wasn't as important as how quickly you got to the top of the hill as how quickly you could recover and sprint to the bottom of the hill. It was more about a downhill game than an uphill game. Uh, because the single tracks can potentially keep you from outrunning people, and it just there usually was something that would stop you on the way up the hill, like you'd have to do a bucket carry or something like that. So I started to practice downhill repeats. So what I would do is I would go to a mountain and I said, I'm going to run up at about 80% intensity, and then I'm going to run down as hard as I can to the bottom and then rest there for two to three minutes. Whereas everybody I know, no one does downhill repeats. At least at the time, I didn't hear of anybody doing it. So what they would do is they would run up and then they'd leisurely jog down. They'd run up and then leisurely jog down. So I was like, I'm going to work on my downhill game. And it started working because that year it was um, it was uh, Ryan and I running down the backside of that hill as hard as we fucking could. And we spaced out, I think, on Killian. We gapped out on Killian or something like that. And I was like, I can start doing this and I can start using it all the time. And then I realized like the next race was coming up and we had Palmerton. So we went, I looked at the hill. I had raced Palmerton years ago. I found the exact hill and I went and did this, this thing where we do eight minute repeats because I timed and I knew that how long it was going to take from section to section on Palmerton. And I would do eight minute repeats with Yatskow and we'd go up. And we bomb down as hard as we can, and then we rest. And we kill each other to the top. It was more important to focus on the ascent that time rather than the descent. So I just started to kind of pick things apart. And like right now, I'm trying to set the world record for Murph. I said to myself, I said, what's 
going to be the difference here. So I looked at all the components of what it is going to be. I don't need to work on my running right now. I'm good enough that I can run six minute flat on both sides with the weight vest. Pull-ups, even the shittiest pull-up person is not going to deal with the pull-ups worse than the push-ups. So what I've done is I've like, and the squats need to be fast. So what I've done is I decided to put myself through a block where I build strength, which is going to be a barbell movement. It's going to be bench press and squats. And then it's going to be, that's going to build strength and position. And then I decided the most important thing to do is also be able to have speed of repetition. So I decided to put resistance bands on my back to make me go faster up and down. And then I decided to go uh, to do sets where I have to also work and go unbroken as long as possible. So I just decided like years ago that it's better to break down the race rather than to break down the race rather than try to break down the training. So you break down the race first and then you break down the training where most people like try to build training and they want to have this perfect training block and then they just show up to races and do shitty and do shitty and do shitty. And then all of a sudden they're supposed to have this one great day that's at the end of that training block. They're like, I'm going to be ready in six months. Like that's one thing that blows my mind with athletes. They're always like, dude, you just wait and see six months from now. That's when I'm really going to hit it or this, that, and the other thing. And I was like, Sure, you're going to be fitter than potentially, but you're going to get chipped away at at all of these races over the next six months. You're going to have like a fifth to a tenth place finish or a fifteenth place finish, and then you're going to show up at the next one. You're maybe going to go tenth through fifth again, and you're going to be so mentally fucked by the time you get there that you are a fifth to fifteenth, like a fifth to fifteenth place runner. Doesn't matter how fit you are, you think of yourself as a fifth to fifteenth place runner. So, like you. You got to make sure that you train importantly for the, the micro cycles compared to the macro cycles, I guess. So back so back when you did like the series, the U.S. National Series, you did most of it. Did you look at every single race and tra- change your training block every single race? You didn't have like any sort of like baseline training and then small deviations from that based on what was coming up. You could completely like 180 your training even throughout a season based on the next race. I mean, you can't 180 your training ever. Like, I'm not all of a sudden going to become go from like a mountain runner to like a, a fast track 5K runner overnight. Yeah. Like, you can't do that. But what you can do is you can. I just know that if I'm preparing in a certain way and I'm constantly going up, that I can almost hit anything. And then I give myself about three weeks to prepare specifically for one thing. The core bricks don't change. Like when I was doing OCR. It was Monday was legs and high intensity workout, um, like wad in the afternoon. Tuesday was repeats. Wednesday was long, long mountain run or long mountain bike. Thursday was a repeat. Uh, it was upper body, um, upper body day. And then Friday was hill, hill repeat day. And then Saturday was long run day. But in anything, like, you know what I mean, that, Thursday, uh, that Friday hill repeat thing could have been the Monterey up and downs, or it could have been that, you know, the eight by eights, eight, eight, that's eight minute, um, uphills. If I was going to train for Palmerton and you just keep on changing those things. And the goal is, is to, it was to just add volume incrementally rather than try to be like, I should be here. Never put yourself there. Always short change yourself. Like if you can throw the ball a hundred feet, throw it a hundred times at 80 feet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Don't target for a hundred all the time. And 
you know, that, that shit really, really worked. And I was always a huge fan of periodization. Like you've really got to periodize yourself. Otherwise you will break. And even as I get older now, which I know I'm not old because the first time I ever raced against Hobie call, he was 32 and I'm 31 right now. So I'm certainly still young as an athlete, but I'm realizing how important it is, is to go up and then come fucking back down really quickly. Like take total weeks off from the gym and then take months where you're dicking around. So periodization would be strength block, almost no running at all, run block, big mountain block, or or I do typically I'll do flats for a while, then I do mountain block, then I do intensity block. And then by the time I got to intensity block, it was always almost like Tahoe mm. or CrossFit games or whatever. Yeah. yeah. We could have used you on our training Tuesday this week, couldn't we Bracken? Yeah. We talked periodization. It's important. People don't get that shit. John Albin, really smart at periodization. Yeah, he is. And you were the champion for the periodization cause from the moment I met you. And I wasn't as much on board with that. I like to uh, to slow play things. I like to build a lot of things at once. And you are the, that's like pigeonholing yourself into a jack of all trades, master of none. Whereas periodization means that you will master your, your one goal you're going towards. And I think that that's the difference between people who want to do like you said, f- top tie five to 10 in everything I do all year round versus I'm going to win this event and no one's going to beat me at it. Yeah. I started to really pick that in 2016 in 20, I guess it was the beginning of 2016. I had this breakup and I just was like, what the fuck am I going to do with my life? So I came back to California and I was drinking and drugging like I was years ago and I was hooking up with everybody. I was just fucking going nuts, chasing chicks four nights a week different girl, different drug, different drink. And this guy I met named Bobby, who's been my guru and a man who's changed my life massively to make the man I am now. He hung out with me and we were always rock climbing and stuff. And he was 52 years old and he was climbing harder than I was. He was ripped. I was like, what the hell is with this guy? And he was always teaching me stuff a little bit, but he wouldn't be too overbearing like that dad figure. He was always kind of like a bro. And then one day he sat me down. He's like, hey, man, I'm just going to say it. You're fucking up. Like all I hear about you doing is you're just jacking off into the world. You work out all day long. Then you drink and then you're banging chicks. He's like, you're just always up. You're never down. You're never gaining from what you've done up here. You know what I mean? Like when you do that high altitude work, you come down low so you can recover, so on and so forth, whatever. And I wasn't doing any of that. I was just pounding myself into the ground. And he was the guy who made me start to think. He made me start to use my Johnson as a tool rather than a toy. And he started to make me use my mind as a weapon rather than a distraction. And all of a sudden, I was like dialed and I was focused. And he started teaching me all of these things about diet, nutrition, sleep, and also just what it was like to actually be a man rather than a boy who's got some muscles and some charisma and some highlights behind him to get everyone excited. Like he's like, you have all that. You're a bright, shiny light. Moths come to the light always. But what you do with the light is what's important. And so he taught me that shit. And from that day forward, I don't think I've lost a short course race ever since, except for when I tore my ankle 2018 City Field. But you don't have to say you tore your ankle. You can just say Bracken won the race. Bracken, you did win the race. But honestly, if I had a pair of duct tape on me, I would have wrapped around my ankle and burnt you to the fucking ground. But man, that's the good thing. We'll never know. 
never will know. I'm ready when you are. So he gave me a lot of focus. That was probably the next chapter of my life of rather than it was physicality, research to to basically apply that physicality, overtraining, but also understanding what it's like to test every facet of sport and training, and then into really wanting to win and learning how to actually put it all together, concentrate, focus, dial it in, then apply. And that's kind of where I'm at now, I guess. That's, I mean, that's a lot of living for 31 years. It's a blast. You know, that's, that's kind of the cool thing about sports is that you were able to come to the, a realization by 30 or 29 rather than like being 55 and ha- like having a hedge fund collapse or being 40 and having a marriage dissolve, like a race, a race blowing up on you or something bad happening like that gives you chances to kind of shortcut that life learning process. But I've, all yeah. of that kind of leads me to one question that I've had for years. I've never asked you, like, this isn't me as a, a podcast. I was just like, I'm actually asking you this. So yeah. You have probably like the most unassailable confidence I've ever met. Like you just, everyone knows that you expect to destroy people every moment of every day of your life. And I guess my question is how much of that is bluster and how much of that is like a hundred percent true? I don't know when it started, but um, it's all true. You know, I showed up, I showed up to Chicago with two weeks of training on me. For Chicago High Rocks, where I set the world record, two weeks of running training. I had hiked the Appalachian Trail for New Year's. I had hurt my ankle doing an ultra, and I hadn't run and done anything really for almost two months leading up to that, except for CrossFit. So, like, no running whatsoever. And I knew I didn't have the the nuts and bolts of a perfect training block to beat the people that I was going up against because. Kent had obviously done really, really well, and everyone was obsessed with Kent doing well. And I just told myself, and I was sick too. I didn't tell anybody this. The two nights before, I drank like a half of a bottle of like the family size NyQuil, and I slept for eleven hours. And I just said, "Fuck it!" Like none of these people are gonna beat me. I don't give a shit. I was like, "I'll die doing this. I'll break my body," which I did. I was literally have have Achilles. I still have Achilles pain to this day from that race. I just said to myself, "I'm not gonna lose." And I just buried myself. And I'd rather be the person who breaks a kneecap trying to do something great rather than be the person who sits on my couch thinking about doing something great. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people hold back and they never, never just like completely decimate themselves. And I've done it in bar fights. I've done it in racing. I've done it in everything. I just turn around and I say, fuck it. And I go all in. And I'm 100% confident because it's just like if, it, if, if the stars align, which they usually do, I'm going to get it done. Um, it doesn't happen all the time. Like you can beat me for sure, but no next time that I'm going to come back that I'm going to beat you. I'm going to die trying and I'll focus and I'm going to get pissed. And it's not a great thing. I was telling the girl that I was just hanging out with, uh, the moped crash girl. I was riding a mountain bike with her yesterday. And I said, you know, this whole last year, because I had not competed since the 2019 TMX. I had really not had a year competing and people were bad mouthing me going into CrossFit. Like all this shit I did, like people were weighing down on me all the time. And I didn't have that normal confidence of like, Hey, four weeks ago, I just set the world record or four weeks ago. I just beat the shit out of all you guys. So shut the fuck up. Like I hadn't competed in a whole year. So I had nothing really to show that I was as tough as I thought I was. And then all of a sudden I got my ass handed to me at the CrossFit games 
and I just didn't feel like myself. And all of a sudden, just like about a week ago, it hit me again. I was like, damn, there's that feeling. Like there's that self creepy mental self talk that you get into where you just know, like when we play ping pong in the yard, I'm like, I'm going to destroy all you guys. I'm like, ah, like foaming at the mouth. And all of a sudden it's a workout. Then it's bench press. Then it's whatever it is. It's that self talk. And I'm not going to lie. It's a little bit dangerous. Like I have to go to therapy and go talk to people because I'm like, Hey, listen, I had a conversation with this person last week and I told them like, you know, they're never going to beat me. They're never going to be better than me. Suck it. Like, and I'm like, that comes out of my mouth. And then I'm like, whoa, whoa, calm down, Hunter. And I have to go to therapy. I'm like, whoa, like, how do I not do that to people who don't deserve it? And like, is that a bad thing that I said? And like, usually my therapist is like, hey, listen, like, you got to understand you're an athlete. That's who you are. That's your mojo. Like, maybe go talk to the person, go apologize. Like, you know, like I, Kent sent me yesterday a picture. He's like, this is a race that I beat you. And I was like, Kent, you've never beat me in anything. He's like, I'm like, send me a race result right now. I'll Venmo you $100 if you have any evidence of you beating me. And he found this picture from the Spartan cruise of where he took second and I took fourth. I was like, fuck, he did beat me. <laughs> but I have to Venmo him $100. But like my skin started to boil. I was like, you fucking piece of shit. Did you <laughs> say you beat me? And like it comes, it overtakes my body. And I don't know where it comes from. It's it's honestly like a like a gorilla uh, or like a lion amongst a pack. You know what I mean? Like if anybody else comes in the room, if like a man, a masculine man comes into the room, I look at that person and I think about how I could wreck them in some way, shape, or form. And I've just always been that competitive. Are you telling us that you're mentally stronger than anybody else? Because you said basically that you were not prepared to come in and win High Rocks in Chicago, yet you came in and were like, I have to. Yeah, I don't know if it means I'm mentally stronger than anybody else, but I fucking did it. Right. So where does that come? If you weren't physically as prepared as you should have been, then how did you pull it up? Your attitude? It's got to be, dude. I just refuse to quit, man. I'd rather die before I'd lose to some of these people. And there's going to be the day where that ends. And I, I've literally told myself, I've literally had this conversation so many times where the day that I decide to retire, I retire. I'm done. I'm fucking done or I'm going to kill. I'll kill myself trying to do this until X amount of age. I'll keep on doing the Hobie in and out. And no offense to Hobie. Hobie's a stallion. Like he can come in and out as many times as you want because he always proves himself. But if I don't let that go, like the same way I let go drugs and stuff, I was like, I'm out. I'm done or I'm going to die doing this. So that's, I guess I have a lot going for me. I'm fit. I'm fit almost all the time. I've never had a serious energy that's really held me back. Was I prepared? No. Did I use whatever I had in the tank? Yes. A hundred percent. I fried myself on that day. So it was a mental thing for sure. Do you, do you always have somebody's face on a dartboard? Like, are you always like, I'm going to fucking kill Kent or I need to crush Hobie. Because a lot of people like glorify, like, no, I just worry about my training and my situation and I'm going to focus on me. Are you focusing on just like crushing certain people and they're in your mind during every workout? Or are you like, nah, I'm just worried about me over here? No, dude. I'm, I'm trying to get a hold of Josh Bridges right now who currently holds the Murph World record. And I just texted my buddy yesterday. I said, give me Josh's number. He looks like a pussy. Like I just, I'm like, I want to, I want to fight him. So you're thinking about people when you're running and working, working out, you're actually thinking about crushing a certain person or certain people. Yes, 100%. I think it has to be. I think that anyone says that they're not are either unicorns in the fitness world or they're lying. 
A lot of people say they, they don't. A lot of people just say, I worry about my own training. I think the same percentage of people who only worry about their own training are the same percentage of, of competitive athletes who truly just enjoy the race, even if they don't win. I think it's a very minute percent of competitive athletes can love taking 12th place if they just do their best or can love training without thinking about who they're going to beat. I think most people cannot do that. See, that shit doesn't make any sense to me. I'm reading a book right now about Andre Agassi, uh, the tennis champ. Agassi? Is he French? <laughs> Andre Agassi. Agassi. Agassi? Whatever. He's not French. I hate the book. I keep on putting it down like, fuck this guy. Because he's so talented, but all he does is complain mentally. And whenever he gets to a championship against this guy named Peter Sampras, he almost always loses against him because he never thinks about Pete. He always thinks about himself. He always thinks about how things for him are going on. He always thinks about how his relationship with his wife is bad. He always thinks about how he hates tennis. It's so hard for him. And I was like, this guy is such a pussy. And then he gets to the, the final against Peter Sampras every single time, and he always loses. I mean, he's won a couple, but he usually gets pounded. And I think, man... I always get upset with Atkins. I called him out last year. I was like, listen, dude, it's like it's your own fault that you keep on losing these things. Like you were just in Fiji riding around on a bike and paddling with your bros, doing your little TV show thing. Just go train for Spartan Race World Championships and go win the thing. But I don't – like I think Atkins – Atkins does not like losing, but I don't think he cares enough about winning to focus. He's talented enough that he's always going to step in and do something that is – above and beyond which most athletes could ever do in their lives. But he's like, today I'm going to go rock climbing. Today I'm going to bike across the Antarctic. He might be the exception. He's one of those exceptions that truly loves the process more than he loves the idea of being a world champion. I believe that because I believe he would have won two or three already had he just decided I'm going to train all year for Tahoe or for Killington. He would he would have been a minute faster. I told him, I said, I said, listen, I was like, let's just put our shit together this year. And I was like, I'll literally move to you or you can move into my Malibu house because it's now it's um, in Dubai. I was like, we'll just run on the sand all the time and go up and down dunes. Let's just beat each other to death for two months before it. I don't know if he's going to take up that opportunity, but I think if he does it, he could be good enough to win that thing if he actually just focused. I agree. Spartan's been talking a bunch about like their Mount Rushmore lately. Who's your Mount Rushmore of OCR, the greatest of all time? Kirk and I were talking about the toughest people we ever raced against. Because it sounds like you, like as much as you're respectful of people, you don't like respect a ton of your competition. They don't have your respect. And I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, like you don't look at them as legitimate threats. Who is your, like your list of people that have totally earned your respect as an athlete? Four of them, uh, at least in our sport. Um, Hobie was kind of like, uh, he was my rose. That's the man that uh, you know I fawned over for years. He, I think, is probably the most dominant athlete in our sport. And if we had met him where we are now and he had the time to work with us at our age in the peak of sport, which we're at now, I think he would do exactly what he did, if not even better because he had the time and the focus. Second's got to be Cody. Cody's not always the best, but when he finishes, he's had the most dominant finishes in the sport's history. Like, you know, winning Tahoe by nine minutes ahead of the other guy. Yeah. And just doing shit that's unheard of. Like, you know, doing the same exact thing in Breckenridge. And he's always kind of in and out. And I know he's a freak, 
Um, and he has a harder time than most people because of what he's got going on health wise. But that guy's a freak. Like if he just, let's just say we like took away his health issues, he may outrun Hobie forever. So, and Hobie said the same thing. And then you got Albin, like Albin's probably the most analytical and probably the most appropriate athlete in this sport. Like he just takes his time, only comes to the races he wants to do. And he prepares for them probably more diligently than anybody. Like he just like, you know, I drink beer and I have fun like that. guy does not drink beer or have fun. He focuses. And then you got Atkins. Like Atkins probably is like Hobie, but doesn't have the focus. Like, you know, he could have done so many more insane things in this sport, but he's, you know, he's spread out. So that's why he should be up there because one, he's had all of these massive wins, but Two is how crazy dynamic they are. Like coming second place to me in TMX and then winning the 24 hour championship. Like no one's doing that and he's doing it all the time. And no one will touch him in that 24 hour distance. That brings two things to mind real quick. First is that Hunter, you and I did a podcast almost like, I don't know, four months ago and you predicted that Atkins would win Florida. Remember that? You're like, yeah, I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, like if I don't win, you know, Atkins will probably show up and find a way to beat everyone. And he did it. And you knew that. Um, and then the second thing is something Jack Bauer actually said to us. How, how come no one mentions Robert Killian? Because Robert is really good at one thing. He's really good at one thing. He had a great year. He had a great like one or two years in the beginning. And now he's kind of fading off. And I know that he's got a family and everything else. But like, let's just say, screw all your noise on the side. Like, I don't want to hear about it. Let's just talk about races. He's really good at one thing. I know I will dominate robert in the majority of races unless it's that one style race up down at elevation yeah yeah and he's fucking killer at it and he's good at he's you know he did it at palmerton he was really good there like he's just good at that up down style stuff he's good at stadiums oh i didn't really think about that yeah he's got that intensity too but if i had to think of like somebody when i show up if i like shaw atkins or albin or hobie or cody i'm like fuck this is gonna be a hard day but I don't think of that when I see see Robert. If you had to kick one person off of your Mount Rushmore and replace yourself with them, who would you kick off of those people you list to put yourself in their place and why? Mm, I'd pick Albin. You'd kick him off? Just because it's not that I don't respect Albin, but Albin like, does a couple races a year and doesn't show up for anything else. Like He picks what he wants to do and wins it. And not to say that he couldn't go and win other things, but he's not showing up for the majority of the seat series and putting himself through that workload of the consistent of the consistency of the racing and the dynamics of the racing like you know it's kind of going from jacksonville and then all of a sudden going to seattle and then all of a sudden you're in a beast in utah that's a pretty dynamic playing field like short flat middle distance flat super big mountain at altitude big bear super steep mountain at altitude like you know what i mean it's it's dynamic mm-hmm. he's not doing that game everybody else has played that game except for him and it's not that I don't respect him, but he's basically like an OCR championship athlete. He's not an OCR like, you know, season athlete, like the most of the people who have been on Rushmore who like all those guys have been through the ringer and done like the seasons that we are used to, were used to back when we were younger, which was like, you know, seasons of like 20 plus races a year. Mm-hmm. And you're fucking going to battle like every other weekend. Is he punished for living in Europe? You think? No, I don't think he wants to. Like, I think he he could go to more of those races. Um, Listen, dude, I know a lot of people who, like, you know, travel internationally for races constantly. You think if he lived in the U.S., 
he'd be unassailably the greatest? Or do you think he'd be exposed? I think he'd for sure be exposed. I remember I ran against him in Palmerton, and I'm not as good of an athlete in the mountains as him, and I beat him in Palmerton. And I was like, I thought to myself, I was like, oh my gosh, Alvin's going to clean this thing up. It was too short and too intense for him for him to become be John Alvin. Didn't, didn't he have everyone beat until the double sandbag? Yeah, but that's part of the fucking race. And the double sandbag was pretty early on. Okay. I, mm-hmm. I, I still really don't like it in races where people are like, well, dude, I outran everybody. I'm like, it's not a running race. It's a fucking obstacle course race. You hop over fences and pick shit up and carry them. Like, it's not a, it's not a running race. Dude, we had Herman Silva come in and race us in the 2013 Spartan Race World Championships. 206 marathon runner, silver medalist at the Olympics, smoked. He outran everybody to the top of the mountain. He, he was the freakiest uphill runner I've ever watched. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, good God, this is going to suck. Like, I am not the athlete I thought I was. Like, this is what world championships looks like. I was like, I retire. And then all of a sudden, dead. Drops out of the fucking race. Do you know what happened that day? To him? He snapped his ankle five feet in front of me. Ooh. He fell off the monkey bars, fell going backwards, got his foot underneath him, and there's an audible just crack. And they carted him right off. Like, well, there goes him. Yeah. But no, he, Kirk, this guy was freaky. He ran uphill like he was running on flats. He had vertical oscillation going. He had high turnover and then he'd fail something. And I'd be like a minute and a half and he'd run sprinting right past up me, up this mountain. It was, I've never seen someone that freaky. And yet, Hunter's right. Like, that wasn't, that didn't matter. I don't like compliments that much and I don't think about them very much. But, one thing I will never forget, and it's probably the greatest compliment I've ever received, is he came up to me after the race, broken English, and said, you are the most talented athlete on the mountain today. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, fuck, yes. And that shit has stuck with me ever since. And I think about that dude all the time. I, I mean, listen, I was an amateur-level athlete in, the pro sport, in a pro sport, and I had an Olympian come up and say that to me. And I was like, it's fucking on. Because I had – I was leading the race, and then I lost by 10 fucking minutes to Hobie with, like, one mile to go because I bonked. And I hated it. I wanted to kill myself. I was like, this sucks. This is such a shitty sport. I suck. And then he came up and said that afterwards. It changed my whole mind. Have you had any races where you were, like, truly humbled? Because everybody, you know, your facade on social media and as the people know you, like, you're you're a damn winner no matter what, right? 2014 Spartan Race World Championships. So you that's the most humbling race you've had to date? Hundred percent. Why? Well, Matt Novakovich was and I were pegged, and John Yatskow were pegged to be the the podium guys that year, and we were the ones to watch. And I, John Albin and Atkins didn't exist before, and they showed up and they went out like lightning bolts. And I was like, just like happens in so many Spartan races, these guys go out. Remember Aaron? What's his face? The Fletcher. guy Fletcher. Like he would go out like a lightning bolt, go for a while and then crack. You know, that 5K Olympian came out. David Torrance went out like a lightning bolt and cracked. Like it just always happened. If I didn't know you, then you weren't a problem. And they went out and they got me by 19 minutes by the finish line. And I've never been beaten like that before ever in my entire life. And I was like, what the fuck? And I was devastated. Like Albin and, and Yatskow would have beaten me by a chunk. Uh, now, Albin and, and Cody beat me by a chunk, but not above 10 minutes. Like, they were within five minutes of me both, and they fucking lit me up. And I was like, I remember going into the double sandbag carry, and, and, 
and uh, Atkins was just walking out. And my dad looks at me. He's like, dude, they're 19 minutes ahead of you. And I just was blown away. We were only like a mile or and a half on the finish line. And I hammered, but didn't change anything. What about uh, what about the opposite end of the spectrum? What up to this point do you feel like you, you can puff your chest out the most as far as performances go? Like which ones are you like you, you earned, you dug deep, the ones you're proud of? TMX, Broken Skull. Yeah? Like those things I just trained for and I like analytically built it up and I was like not going to be beaten. And I could have taken another two minutes off of the time at TMX um, in 2019 uh, because I really had perfected it. So I was pumped. No, 2018, 2018. Uh, so those were good, dude. Those were like the things where I think back and I'm like, wow. Like if, if we had a little bit more respect in our sport, I'd like I, that people would be like, wow, that was one of the most dominant athletic finishes we've seen in like endurance or CrossFit sport in, in a long time. And that, that's like what I hold pride for. And I was really shaping up to do the same thing at high rocks this year, but, um, you know what? Another year, more time to train. We'll see what happens. Is High Rocks your best competition? Like of all the things that have ever been created, is that the one that most suits you versus anyone else? It's... What do you think your best is? If you could have one competition that you could be undefeated for life, what would it be? I would love to keep on going back to Broken Skull. Yeah. There's so many variables though. You could get a, you could slip out of the, the ring. You could run up against an all-American wrestler, you know, like. But that's what I was training for, man. That last season, I was going to wrestling practices, knowing that I wanted to get in the pit with some of these guys. I was just in a, I was just starting to go for it. I okay. wanted that, so I missed that. Like I want a little bit more dynamics. I'm tired of doing power cleans and box jumps and running half miles at a time. It gets cool, but I like contact. That felt really good to have back in my life. But I guess we'll see with high rocks. We'll see. Do you have any other plans other than like the high rocks, maybe Deca fit type stuff this year? What are you, what are you hitting up? Are we going to see you potentially at like an Abu Dhabi, anything like that? I really want to, I would like in a perfect way. I was supposed to go to a CrossFit sanctional June 22nd. And I think it may still go off. And I'm hoping with a freak chance that with my fitness now, I'm in better shape than I was in last year for CrossFit. And I'm hoping freak Freak possibility, go through Murph, train up, somehow make it through this sanctional. If five people have already qualified for the games before me, if I take sixth, I move into the game. So I'm hoping for a finish like that. Go to the games if I'm lucky. That's all up in the air. Who knows? But otherwise, High Rock starts. I'm going to get in really good shape. I'm going to do a couple, like an ultra or two this summer if I can get under my belt just for adventure. And then I would like to come full swing into Dubai. I don't know how to qualify at this point. I don't know what the hell is going on. But I figure if I can run super hard for a high rocks for 55 minutes, I think Dubai is going to be one in like an hour and 30 to hour and 35. Yeah. If it's a beast, I don't know what they're making that. I guess I assume a beast, but. I'm assuming a beast. Like an hour and 30 to hour and 40, I think is totally doable. If people are running, you know, 515s to 545s on the flats. Plus it's sandy. That's in your alley. Yeah, I like that stuff. So that would be really fun. You know, I don't think attacking on an extra 30 minutes is going to kill me. It'll just take a couple more long runs. Do you know how bad people in this sport want to see you show back up to like a major series race and just, <sighs> you know, like, do you have any idea what people like to show up to like West Virginia or something and just throw it like just to see it? You would have so many eyes on you. So many people curious about it. People are begging for you to come back to those outdoor Spartan races. 
Dude, I would love to. My number one goal, though, is to have a freaking just backyard brawl against David Watson and just beat the shit out of him because <laughs> I think he is the shittiest human being on the face of the earth. I'd come. I'd get the podium check. I'd split it in half and start beating him with it. And, um, you know, other than that, that's the only reason why I really want to come back. Not at all for money or fame, just to fight Watson. I think you should go to West Virginia. It'd be a good course for you. Yeah. You should. Yeah. You've never raced there. It's fantastic. It's the best course in, in North America, in my opinion. I'd like to go. I just don't know if any of us are going to race. I think all of us might have SARS by the end of the year, whatever is going on, whatever that virus is. <laughs> Could be. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited. You know, I think we'll we'll have a really good uh, – we'll have a good season. It's, it's going to be super cool. I'd like to get back into running. Living in this house with Johnny and watching those guys go out for runs all the time is pretty great. I'm still – I'm – Running out here in the mountains is hard. I'm heavy right now, and I got to get back into like just feeling myself. And I'm just starting to get there, but it's hard. You got time. That leads me to my last question. Yeah. Ryan Kent, about a year ago, told me he had this like dream that he's put off for a while to run the fastest marathon for someone like over 185 pounds or at 200 pounds. Like set the world record for that. I've always thought of you as the fastest 200 plus pound runner on the planet. I wanted to set the world record for the 200-pound marathon last year. Well, okay, so you and Kent, let's say you guys are going for that. What do you think you could run a marathon in at 200 pounds? 232 to 236? Yeah. yeah. Six-minute pace, roughly. I think something. I could run about like a 550 probably the whole time. I was pumping out like 530s to 545s for half marathons pretty easily at like a, at like a marathon heart rate with – um, rich a couple of years ago at like 195. So I think, you know, I know, I know the marathon is a much further distance and it's all speculation, but I'm really good right now at running 10 miles at six minute flat pace. Just, I do that negative split run and I try to do like the last mile around like a 530, 5.15 for, uh, for my negative split runs. And you just got to add on 16 more miles and you're done. No big deal. <laughs> so, I, don't, I don't know. I thought that would be really cool. I think my endurance will be pretty gosh darn solid. And maybe it's something I've wanted to do it for a long time, but all the information on it is so like, I read about this guy who was supposedly 200 something pounds and six foot 10 and ran like a 228 marathon. It's like, who is this jolly green giant you talk of? Like I'm reading in all these blogs. I, I can't find the information anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of fake running stats out there by people who want to pimp out their business like as the big, strong guy who ran this incredible time. What do you think would be the world record? Just so I could put it on my board right now, what would be the time? At 200 pounds, I doubt anyone's broken 235, 236. Yeah, I, I don't know if anyone's actually broke 240 at 200 pounds, but I think if you could run mid to low 230s, you'd have it. I'm doing it. I think anything under six-minute pace, I think if you could average anything under there, I don't see anybody – running faster than that in history but you'll always have the people that claim it like the alex vieta claim like those kind of people will always have these crazy claims dude the know? guy who said he ran like deadlifts like 700 pounds and runs over 430 miles he said he ran 410 at that size at, at like 220 pounds he said he ran 410 man so i can slap him oh he, he's had runners for years be like just show up to this place and run 430 and i'll give you a thousand dollars and you know dude, he'll i'll give do him it. ten thousand dollars it's, it's just physically impossible. There's no one at 220 that's going to run 410. But look at him also, dude. He looks like a turtle. Yeah, if you've ever watched him run. I mean, I'm not here to trash. I'm just saying there are people like that who maybe no, don't understand 
what running times actually are. You know, maybe he did a, a GPS uh, downhill on a trail, 410, 1500 meter. I don't know. You know, like there's so much. Britney Spears just said she ran a five yeah. flat hundred meter dash. Like people don't <laughs> understand time. So there's yeah. always going to be someone who will claim it, but I think you could get the official record. I'd like to know. I, I wish there was more running information out there about the records. I'm still scouring the earth trying to find the real world record for Murph. And the only thing that pops up is that's legitimate is Josh Bridges time. And then there's all these other websites like the Murph challenge where people are posting up, like women are posting up times of like 24 minutes with a 40 pound vest. I was like, that's insane. It's not possible. Right. So I don't know. Um, but those are the goals and hopefully I'll see you guys, uh, Later on this season, I hope you guys all stay healthy and train hard because I'm going to crush you when I get Yeah, I want to see you out on one of these races, man. I want you to – you said, oh, I might show up to Jacksonville. I'm going to go. I might – I want you I to want commit. To. I want you to commit to something where we can we can hang out and, and crush. Listen, I signed that paperwork with High Rock, so I had to go to Dallas. You know, one of us – I have a job. All right? We're, my hands are tied. How about the three of us commit to a, a trifecta? We'll do a High Rocks, a stadium, and a beast. Done. I'll probably it. show up if if July 18th, there's no DecaFit going on the same time that um, – I think it might be the first DecaFit that weekend and the same uh, weekend as Utah. But if yeah. it's not the case, I'll be at Utah, and I'll be ready. Cool. Ooh. All right. I'll put I, some beans down on that. I will you guys not be at put, that one. Why not? I mean, I'm still, I'm still not even really running after surgery. Dude, you got April, May, June. Three months? Yeah, we'll see. Can you get on the can you get on the bike? Yeah, I'm on the bike and the stair climber like crazy. Dude, get yourself an assault bike. If you get an assault bike or buy yourself a Schwinn, I did these. I have an Airdyne. Dude, two minutes hard, two minutes easy. Do twenty rounds. If you do that, I did that while I had some Achilles pain and also some 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 IT band pain, dude. You will come out like a monster. That's what I'm hitting uh, after this podcast. I'm taking a down week from running. I'm getting on my assault bike, and I'm hitting either 60-60 or two-minute, two-minute intervals. Great two minutes, mind, brother. Two-minute, two minutes, what I call the brick builder. And it's, yep. that's, that's the best way to get in shape, at least for endurance, that I've ever done on a cross trainer. I, like I used to do that one on the roads, running. Two-two? Two-two. I'm a one-one on the roads. That's my favorite. One-one yeah. for speed, two-two for like an hour, 80 minutes, something like that. Ooh, spicy dog. That's right. What's your guys' favorite workout of the week? Let's do this real quick. Like we used to do on off. I did my first run workout yesterday. How'd it go? Terrible. I did a five-minute warm-up jog. That's all I could handle. Then I did 100 meters fast, 50-meter jog for one mile, and then I jogged home with my knee hurting. Solid. Solid. Getting Solid. super fast. What about you? Yeah, man, I'm taking this is my rest week. I think we I got to take a good reset before I build to crush the rest of this year. So I'm just cross training this week, man. I uh, I had some assault bike intervals on Monday. I did uh, 15 cals, 10 burpees, 15 cals, 10 pull ups, 15 cals with a 15 cal recovery. And actually, that got me going pretty good, man. I did six rounds of that. I I went to the uh, heart rate got up to like almost 180 on a couple of those, and I uh, put in some good work. It's simple. Dude, that's simple shit, but it works. Shit, yeah. What about uh, you? Okay, so Tuesday's max effort day, and I do a chipper all upper body stuff. I do a one-mile run, 50 chest-to-bar pull-ups, 50 ring rows, half-mile run, 50 strict handstand push-ups, 50 dips, one-mile run. And that blew me up to the point where I can't reach my hands overhead fully. Is that how your style is? A lot of your intense workouts now are always broken running between the strength and run movements. Is that pretty much the prim- primary way you're going about your quality work? 
it keeps me prepped for high rock. So it's like always tempo work, but training for Murph, I'm trying to do huge sets of either more technical, less reps, more weight, less reps, or more reps, less technicality. So like instead of doing a hundred pull-ups, I do like 125 to 150 ring rows in a row, um, mm. instead of a hundred pull-ups or like, you know, instead of a hundred pull-ups with a weight vest, I do 50 pull-ups with a, um, chest to bar with a weight vest on. And like, so I do the technicality. I always go out for a one hard mile run, just get that out, come back, have enough fitness to push through like large blocks, another half mile, and then blast at the end. Last mile, I'm always trying to do between, you know, 540 and I'm trying to get down to like 520 by the time Murph hits. Bracken and I were talking in our last podcast about you. We, you, like you said, you come up once in a while and he had said that you like to add these intense wads on the end of like, even like easy days or you'll add them to the end of strength days just to get some like quality, high intensity effort in. Are you yeah. still doing that as well? Like adding them into the end of strength days or adding them into the end of even like an easy run day? Are you doing that still? Oh yeah. Yeah. What are some of your go-to favorites? Well, end of a long run, I learned this from um, Rich Diaz. Like he was doing research on Kenyans and supposedly a lot of Kenyans will do long runs and then they do their last mile max effort. Super easy. Don't need any equipment. Okay. You know what I found out? Some Kenyans also do uh, almost OCR workouts as like a moderate uh, circuit drill. They'll do like 20 squats, 20 push-ups, 20 lunges, and then run a quarter to a half mile at like 520 to 540 pace. They're doing this for like 2,000 meters of work at a time and then resting. It's just like their strength training and like regeneration days. How crazy is that? I like it, dude. I think they're figuring out. It's good to have that kind of a little bit overall resilience to get a little bit of strength in there. Um, I tack Helen on at the end. Or one of my favorite workouts that I do before I go for um, some of my long runs is I take 225 pounds and I put it on a uh, squat bar and I do front squats at 225 pounds for 20 reps and then I go out for a max effort mile and then I'll just go into my my, 60-minute run after that. You're taking on really short bouts of intense work before or after, like some really like just like chill, steady work. Yeah, I think it's important to be beat the shit up and then still know that you can move. And then also do long amounts of work and then know that you can still do crazy amounts of work at the end of it. Hmm. That's good. Bracken, what else you got for for the hoont? That's about it. We've covered covered a wide array of subjects, but I like it. I, I I like how open you've been with about that about how you train and how you think about it. Boys, we freaking hammered. Yes, we did. Question, is Johnny going to be the truth this year? Has he taken another step forward? (sighs) Dude, he trains so hard and he's really smart, but he's still got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder mentally. He, The issue that I have with him being better is he cannot get out of his train tracks. Like, if I was like, hey, man, like, he knows he's going to go running. He's like, I'm going to go run up uh, the flat irons. I was like, well, we're going to go up the devil's thumb. Same amount of elevation. We just want to go explore. We haven't been up there before. He's like, no, I can't. And I was like, that's why you're going to lose, dude. I mean, there's a certain level of focus where you're like, like I'll tell people like, hey, I'm tired. I can't go out and train right now. I, I can train later. Like I just need to take a little bit of rest. That's one thing. But he, like even right now, he's still just training so freaking hard. And I'm like, dude, there's nothing coming up. You don't need to do this. So you need to calm down. Mm. And I, I, I think that's like, some of the fittest people I know are the most fragile people I know. And he, I'm not bad mouthing him. I'm trying, I wish I could just encourage him a little bit more and let him know. I'm like, Hey, listen, like, I know he doesn't like to drink beer, but I was like, let's just go out and stay up late one night. You don't have to go to bed at eight o'clock. Nothing's going to happen. 
promise. You know, so it's those kind of things. It's going to take him a couple of years maybe to mature and have that or he's going to crack. Because I also think people that have all that talent and know they have that much talent, if they don't hit hit the peaks that they want to within a certain period of time, they they cut it. It'll be interesting to see what happens the first time he loses one of those steep downhill beast races or supers. Like if he loses Utah or Big Bear, you know, whatever the next one is going to be. If he's like, all right, now the fire's lit. Or if he's like, man, that was my that was my thing and maybe I'm not as good at it that that first time any of us fail really badly. That's kind yeah. of like, that's, that, that's when you find out. Well, he had that happen in Jacksonville. I don't think he was happy at all. Yeah. But he wasn't expected to win it. Like he's expected to win Utah. He told me he was going to win. Jacksonville. Oh yeah? oh yeah. Interesting. See what's the secret to his downhill repetition. Yeah. Repetition, yep. repetition, repetition. He's not doing easy runs like easy technical runs he's doing like he goes up the flat irons which is like a slab of rock that's like a 50 degree pitch maybe a 60 degree pitch maybe even steeper at some points climbing up and then the trail down is just like a goat path of just jagged rocks i rolled my ankle on it the other day i'm like god dang it dude this shit sucks i just want to enjoy a run but he he'll like time himself and so he focuses on that shit so yeah, repetition and, and just rep, repetition, I guess. Interesting. Yeah, makes sense. So, All right. Who, I'm going to miss you, boys. Thanks for calling and including me. Yeah, man, that was a good uh, – I learned some things too about you. I didn't know, Hunter. Thanks for that. Hope is only good stuff. It was. So November for you then? Worlds? Probably. Yeah. If it's like an easy shoe-in, if I can just show up to one or two races and qualify and get in rather than – High Rocks Worlds November now? No, October. October in Amsterdam, I think like the 10th. It's the weekend before Halloween. I'm just going to stay there, and we are going to rage afterwards. That's a dangerous city for you. Oh, yeah. Red Light District for Hunter. (laughs) (laughs) All right, boys. I'll talk to you soon. I'll see you, man. See you.